As inflation rises and pressure mounts on the Federal Reserve to pull back its extraordinary support for big business, is a recession on the horizon. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. He also has a new hard copy edition of his book, Understanding Marxism, which has been released recently. The new book features a lengthy introduction a new introduction, strengthening the case for why Marxism is indeed worth understanding. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Professor Wolf, I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal. Inflation accelerated to 8.5% in March as oil prices soared. Again, the story goes on. It's the biggest spike of unrelenting increase in U.S. prices since, well, since the early 1980s or late 1970s, 40 years ago. I mean, we have a lot going on in the world. There was COVID, there were supply shortages, apparently, or we are so told we need to sort of understand how that is happening. There was, of course, what's called the Great Resignation, where workers were leaving the workforce or not available in the same number, certainly in the lowest paid jobs. And as a consequence, employers have had to raise wages. We have, of course, the introduction or infusion into the economy of huge amounts, hundreds of billions every month from the Federal Reserve of of liquidity, of cash, basically to the banks. That's called quantitative easing. Then, of course, there is military spending. The U.S. has announced that it intends to dramatically increase its military budget, quote, in response to the events in Ukraine, close quote. Some in the Wall Street Journal, for instance, are calling for a doubling of the U.S. military budget. That would bring it, if in fact it happened, to $1.6 trillion. We know from the Vietnam War, and we've discussed with you how Deficit spending to finance war spending leads to inflation. And then there is, of course, the major war in Ukraine where Europe under the, you know, sort of dictates of the U.S., but some of their own political dictates are now boycotting natural gas and oil from Russia, things that will make energy 
supplies much more expensive. That means more inflation in Europe. I noticed earlier today, Deutsche Bank, the German principal German bank, their stock shares fell by almost 10%, a little over 8% earlier before we recorded this show. Anyway, there's a lot going on that would lead to a very unstable, volatile economic situation. But what's unmistakable now is that there is unrelenting so far inflation, price increases. Oh, by the way, Professor Wolf, I forgot to mention the other factor, maybe a very important factor for inflation, which is just straight out robbery and thievery and price gouging from capitalists. Anyway, when we look at the big picture, there's a lot that's unknown. And yet at the same time, what is known is a lot of economic uncertainty and possibly the prospect of a new recession. It is genuinely somewhere between outrageous and amazing watching this. Let's take a step back and be sure we we grasp uh, what is going on. Starting in the year 2020, we subjected the American working class, which had in the previous 20 to 30 years experienced wage stagnation, in other words, the long American history of a rising wage economic system came to an end basically in the 1970s and never resumed. The exceptionalism of American capitalism, rising wages decade after decade for most of the 19th century and for most of the 20th, had led Americans to believe they lived in a charmed economic system, one in which you work hard and keep your nose to the grindstone, et cetera, et cetera. You will enjoy a rising standard of living. You will live better than your parents and your children will live better than you, et cetera, et cetera. It all stopped in the 1970s, never resumed in that last now 40 to 50 years. It was hidden from us for a while because we substituted debt for rising wages. The wages didn't go up anymore, but to hold on to a rising standard of living because we believed so desperately in it, we went to do something no working class had ever done before. We borrowed, we American working people, the employee majority of our people, borrowed more money over the last 40 years than any working class in any country ever did. That's the only reason that America's standard of living kept rising, because our wages didn't pay for it, our rising debt. And let's be clear, mortgage debt to buy our home, automobile car payment debt to have the car, the credit card, which became more and more a basic daily use, and then finally the big new one, college debt. We are drowning in debt. And that was a difficulty when we hit the year 2020. We had already heard how difficult it was and could see it when everything crashed in 2008 and 9. And here we were a dozen years later. And boy, did we have another big shock. Let's be real clear. In 2020 and 2021, we had what is arguably the worst shock in American history. We had a catastrophic public health disaster 
at the same time that we had the second worst collapse of capitalist economics in the history of U.S. capitalism, second only to the Great Depression of the 1930s. And that's what we went through. I mean, let me remind everyone that in 2020 and 2021, more than one half of the American labor force, something on the order of 80 to 90 million American workers, experienced unemployment, some for a few weeks, some for many months. We've never done that to half our labor force before. It is a staggering blow, and it wasn't much offset by the extra money the government gave for a few months to some portion of the affected people. So we really had took it on the chin, and I'm not even talking about the now nearly one million of our fellow citizens who died because of COVID or the tens of millions that are going to be sick for the rest of their lives in ways we can't even predict at this point. You might have thought then, as so many Americans hoped, that we were through the woods on this. Not at all. Now, this system is hitting us with, as you point out, now an eight and a half percent, that's the official government number, rate of inflation. It's really beyond words putting the American working class through what we have gone through, the stagnant wages and rising debts for 30 to 40 years, then the COVID disaster, then the depression that surrounded it over the last two years. And to come to the working class and say, hey, you know what we got for you now? A slap in the face called an inflation. And lest anyone have any illusion, prices rising at eight and a half percent, wages rising on average in the neighborhood of 5% means all working people, nearly all, are falling behind. If you get 5% more than you did last year, but everything you're buying costs 8.5% more, you can afford less stuff. And you can't solve it by borrowing much more money because you can't even pay for the debts you've already accumulated. This is an economy getting really spinning out of control. And that has a lot to do with the bitterness of our politics, with the divisions in the country, with the desperate hunt of affected people for a scapegoat to blame, whether it's Mr. Putin in Russia or immigrants coming from the southern border or whatever else you choose to vent your upset on. And now the final chapter. The economy is in such bad shape that not only have we had to stop raising our workers' wages for 30 years, and not only have we allowed that to happen and the rich keep getting richer, but now we're going to deal with our failure to cope expressed in an inflation by trying to slow the inflation by having the Federal Reserve raise interest rates, which all advisors of the Fed are telling it to do, and which has been promised now by Mr. Powell, the head of the Fed, and by the Biden administration. And you know what that means? If they raise interest rates sharply in May, as is the plan now, it'll make housing more unaffordable, cars more unaffordable, the burden of your credit card debt will rise, college students will be confronted with all kinds. I mean, it's beyond words 
You cannot, in my humble opinion as a historian, you cannot savage your own working class this way for so long and then be surprised that the system begins to disintegrate. Millions of people resigning their jobs, even in the dangerous situation. Millions of workers unionizing all over the country, strikes exploding everywhere, crazy politics as people are desperately looking for something to hold on to, to hope. And just to finish it off, there's the most respected survey of consumer sentiment in the United States is conducted continuously at the University of Michigan. It's called Consumer Survey. It's been going on since the 1940s. So almost a century. Their latest polling of a random collection of Americans gives you the answer. We've never seen numbers this low in terms of what people feel about their own economic situation and an even lower number, record-breaking number, who are in any way positive about what the next six to 12 months of economic reality is going to bring them. So when you hear the mainstream media or the president talk about our strong economy, they are living on another planet. The reality, which most Americans know, is that the economic system we live in is tottering, and the signs of it are everywhere, including on the headline of the Wall Street Journal. I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal. Recession risk is rising, economists say. Forecasters raise probability of economic contraction in next 12 months as Fed tightens to beat back inflation. I want to have you explain in, in sort of basic ways what the thinking, what the conventional thinking is with the raising of interest rates. I think for a lot of people for whom, you know, the financial page looks like a foreign language and, you know, maybe that's done deliberately. And the terms that are used on Wall Street, unless you're in Wall Street, on Wall Street, or have significant investments in Wall Street, you don't even know what these terms mean. I mean, most people like the bond yield curve has inverted and like, that's a big, like, well, nobody knows what that means. Right. Like that's a foreign language for most people. But I want you to explain, Professor Wolf, because this is really your wheelhouse to be able to have workers understand that the stuff isn't actually as complicated as it might seem. It's certainly not as complicated as it would seem if it's all you know, presented as a foreign language that you possibly can't understand because you weren't taught this language. But why does the Federal Reserve raise interest rates in response to inflation how then does it actually slow the economy? Why does a recession, if that's in fact part of what they're in essence planning, is an economic contraction of some level, whether you call it a recession formally or not, it's, an, it's a policy designed to slow the economy down, to contract the economy. How does that actually have an impact on lowering prices. Just let's get some basic definitions. And then finally, I have a follow-up question for you, but let's start with that. Okay. But before I do, I'm glad to do that. And before I do, let me pick up on your thought about a foreign language, because I think your insight there is extremely important. And I mean no disrespect to my friends who are lawyers, but I think the model is in the law. 
if you don't pay a bill, if you do a damage to another person, we have a legal system that says you can go to court and you can get redress for an injury done to you. This isn't very complicated. This is understood. But we have developed a legal language that makes it impossible for 99.9% of the people to understand the gobbledygook of the law. The law, if you take up a law book, is a foreign language. And we have that for one simple reason. There wouldn't be a job for lawyers otherwise. In other words, if you're injured, you go to court, you have to hire a lawyer. You know why? Because the lawyer will translate back for you what the simple idea is behind the law. But because you've never learned the specialized language, the lawyer can charge you to translate back to its basic simplicity what was never complicated in the first place, but was disguised in language. Well, I'm an economist, and we do as a profession pretty much the same as the lawyers do. We shroud these simple ideas in a language nobody understands so that if you want to get something done economically, you got to pay us a fat fee to translate the language we invented back into the simplicities upon which they are based. It's disgusting. It's anti-mass participation. It's the most undemocratic arrangement imaginable. And we live in it, and we shouldn't be afraid to face it. So now let me do the job of translating it back. Here we go. The Federal Reserve is our central bank. It has a mandate. It has a job to do. Here's its job. It is to try to maintain or at least to support economic activity, which is a fancy way of saying jobs, while keeping, here we go, prices stable, price stability. We don't want a runaway inflation. We don't want prices to collapse. We don't want prices to zoom up. We want price stability and jobs for our people. That's basically the job of the Federal Reserve. And they're supposed to manage the monetary system, increasing or decreasing the amount of money in circulation, raising or lowering interest rates, the rate at which money is lent and borrowed, in order to achieve price stability and a functioning job for people who who want one. All right? So, That's what they're supposed to do. They've been supposed to doing that for the last 20 years. Clearly, they have failed. Why? Because we've experienced a collapse of our economy for a short time early in the year 2000. We experienced a really bad collapse of the economy in 2008 and 9, and we experienced another one in 2020, 2021. So if the Federal Reserve's job is to keep our economy in good shape, well, they didn't do it. What about inflation? Well, for most of the last 20 years, we haven't had an inflation. If you like, you can give the Fed some credit for that. But if you are, then you have to say over the last year, the Fed has no credit coming to it at all because we're in a terrible inflation, which clearly they did not prevent, which is their job to do. So 
What do you come away with? Well, you come away with the notion that it may be given a job to do, but it's a very upsy-downsy thing whether it can do the job. The bottom reality that cannot be escaped is that the capitalist system we live in is deeply and fundamentally unstable. It crashes, it has inflations, and the institutions it's developed to try to stop them fails fails regularly, fails repeatedly. And so now the question becomes, oh my God, what do we do to cope with the instability? Well, for the last 20 years, the Federal Reserve has tried to cope with the underlying uncontrolled instability of our system by pumping record amounts of money into the economy. That's what they've been doing, literally, this entire new century since 2000. Never seen it before in peacetime, this amount of, as you rightly called it, quantitative easing literally means flooding the economy with new money. The second thing they did to try to cope with the instability was to lower interest rates, we all know that, to record levels, barely above zero, and even at some points below zero, negative interest rates, which we haven't seen for a long time. Why? Why did they bring interest rates down? Answer, they wanted to make it cheaper for businesses to borrow, hopefully to hire more people and create more jobs, for individuals to borrow more money, which they would then spend, because the problem was the economy tends to crash. And when you think a crash is coming or one is already here, you lower interest rates to stimulate more people to borrow and to spend. You don't worry about the fact, oh my God, the level of debt are being accumulated. How are we ever going to pay it back? You don't worry about it because if you don't do something, you're worried about a crash now becoming a collapse of the system. So they pumped money in and they brought the interest rates down. And that led, of course, to what we have today an economy deeper in debt than we've ever seen before, deeper in government debt, deeper in corporate debt, and deeper in household debt. That is going to be costing us for decades to come, but I don't have time right now to talk about it. But the extra money pumped in has now decided to start chasing goods and services, land, buildings, commodities like oil and gas. The extra money is flooding into those markets and driving up the price. So we have an inflation. Oh my God, the Federal Reserve is failing. Oh my God, what are we going to do, say the people who run the Federal Reserve, the bankers and Mr. Powell, the, the Fed chairman? Well, we're going to pull money out of the economy. That's what we're going to do. We're going to have less money so people won't be able to spend what they used to be able to spend because they won't have the money. And one of the ways we do that is we raise interest rates. That will mean people will be less likely to borrow. 
they'll put off buying that car because they can't afford the payments, which are so high because of the interest rates. Likewise, people will stop buying land and housing and buildings because the borrow the mortgage rate just went over 5%, and that's much more than it was a few months ago. So we're going to kind of shut the economy down because if interest rates are high, people will borrow less. They will therefore buy less, and that will dissuade the sellers of goods and services from continuing to raise their prices because literally people don't have the money to pay those prices. So less will be sold, and that means less will be produced. The people who produce goods and services are not going to keep doing it if they can't sell it, and they won't be able to sell it because people can't borrow if you raise interest rates. That's the plan. What do they not worry about? Well, if you can't sell as much as before and you can't produce as much as before, that means large numbers of people are going to lose their jobs, producing stuff, selling stuff. As less of it is produced and sold, less people will have jobs producing and selling. So the we're capping off the abuse of our working class over 30 years of stagnant wages and then two years of COVID plus crash, and then an inflation by hitting them again, only this time with that recession that's being predicted as the result of raising interest rates. It is awful. And let me make a final point. Are there other ways to stop an inflation if that's what's on the agenda? And the answer is, of course there is. Many societies, particularly capitalist ones, have had inflation. This is not a new phenomenon. The instability of capitalism is baked in. So here I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to pick it. I'm going to pick it from American history. And just to make it even sexier, I'm going to give you the example of what was done the last time we had a bad inflation by a sitting Republican president named Richard Nixon. Date, August 1971. Mr. Nixon goes on American radio and television and makes the following announcement. We have a terrible inflation. It's very, very bad. It's particularly bad for people who don't have a lot of money because they're the ones least able to afford the rising prices. Rich people don't have to worry. It's the rest of us that do. And I'm not going to sit by and let that happen. It's unfair. It's unjust. It's terrible. It has to stop right away. So here's what I'm doing, said the conservative Republican president. I'm declaring a wage price freeze. As of tomorrow morning, if you are a business producing something, selling something, I don't care what you do, you can't raise the price anymore. That's over. And if you dare to raise the price, I'm telling you as president of the United States, I will arrest you and you will go to jail. Guess what? Within 24 hours, this inflation stopped. Could that be done? Absolutely. I used an example of when it was done in this country just to prevent anyone from suggesting that even though nobody is discussing it now, that doesn't mean it's a real option. And for the working class, guess what? We, by freezing the prices, 
might be doing something to correct the inequality in this country, because this is the truth of economics. A tiny minority sets prices in this country. When you hear that there's an inflation, never forget that the tiny minority of people who are employers are the ones who determine the price. Employees don't have that right. Employees don't set the prices of whatever it is they help to produce. The employer does that. And the employers in America, that's one, maybe one and a half percent of our people. The vast majority have to pay the price, but a tiny minority set it. So when you're dealing with an inflation, you're dealing with what a tiny minority decides to do with the prices. And if you ask the question, why does the tiny minority of employers raise the prices? I'm going to give you the answer that may surprise you. They do it to protect or to increase their profits, because that's why they do everything. That's what they're in business for, to make money, to make a profit. They do well with profits. Their career is in good shape. They don't. Their career is in bad shape. That's what they're there for. So the honest answer to why we have an inflation is because that's become the profitable strategy. And if we take away the benefits of a rising profit from raising prices, we could stop the inflation. And if we allowed wages to continue a slow ascent, we would be doing something to correct the imbalance of the last 30 to 40 years, which favored the profits at the expense of the wages and were long overdue for political leaders that would do that with us. Professor Wolf, I I had another question, but actually, and I thank you so much for that answer, which I think is extremely helpful and useful for our audience, the sort of one dissecting or explaining how the mystique with language, either in law or in economics, is actually unnecessary. It can be done away with. We can have a system. We need to have a system if it has any sort of semblance to democracy, a system where uh, the people who are most directly affected, either in law or the economy, actually have the tools to be able to enter and be their own agents in a way. In other words, to be advocates for themselves, which means to get rid of this kind of language. I want to thank you for that. We've run out of time. And I also want to thank you for explaining how this system the Federal Reserve actually works and how the increase in interest rates is really just another form of class war against working class and poor people, not against rich people, and that there's alternatives. So I want to thank you for that. I ran out of time today because I want to ask you next time, perhaps, about another story regarding also related to inflation. It's Here it is. And then you don't have to comment. We'll do it next time. Bank deposits could drop for the first time since World War II. That sounds pretty dire, right? That the banks have less money, less deposits than they have since World War II. The first time it's dropped anyway. It's not slower than it was at the end of World War II. But then when you read the analysis and the assessment, the banks are so awash in deposits, they don't even need the deposits. These are deposits they don't really need, said Barclays analyst Jason Goldberg. Jamie Dimon wrote in his annual shareholder letter last week, a decline isn't going to hurt the banks. The flood of deposits has become a headache, as it had for big banks nearing regulatory limits on their capital. 
And then he says, quote, there is no way traditional Fed tightening and there are no models that can even remotely give us the answers about what's going on in today's economic crisis. That's a lot to talk about. It's too much for this show. Professor Wolf, I hope that you would be able to sort of address that next week if possible. Absolutely. That's what I'm here for. Hopefully to deal with these kinds of issues and questions. So bring them on. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work, the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. There's a new hard copy edition of Professor Wolf's book, Understanding Marxism. It's out. It has a new lengthy introduction, strengthening the case for why Marxism is indeed worth understanding. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolf.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.